0: From the island in the desert, it's Life Punctuated at Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a theme recorded live on stage and without notes from Boise, Idaho. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. On this podcast, it's The Slam from our show inspired by The Ampersand, a simulcast held on January 23rd, 2018 at Jump in Boise and the MC Theater in Idaho Falls. During the slam, we randomly drew names and alternated back and forth between the two cities. And now, it's story time. Ladies and gentlemen, it's our Slammer of the Year,
1: Bean. It just pays to be a ham, you guys, really. So, and, and I thought to think, what is and? And is like addition, also, to. And what was a big and in my life? And that was getting our home. And homes are so, what do we do when we're scared, we're hungry, we're happy, we're we're tired, what do we want to do? We want to go home. And you definitely, if if you've ever been a backpacker, you homer. that take you three days to get into that lake, it's gonna take you two days to get out because you're homerun'. Even though they do move the trailhead back a half a mile, you swear to God, they do. You know, and the the only thing that gets you through is you've got beer in the car, yay. And as Dandy would say, there's orange food in the car. (laughs) And that, so getting our home. So our good friends, Bobette and Patrick, Called us uh, one day, 1985, and said, "There's this really cute little house for sale in our neighborhood, and we want you to come over and buy it." And we're like, well, "We don't got a pot to piss in." And they're like, "Well, I'm sure you can get Idle Housing Authority, and um, so come over and and look at it." So we drove over, and we you know parked in the house. And It was this cute little 1950s house in Collister area, and off in the north west um Boise and and the kind that you would draw as a kid you know with the thing and the two windows and a big tree on this side and the the driveway up and we park it, and the woman comes out and this little old lady comes out and she come come and so we're like well we heard that this house is for sale and so we'll come in and let me show it to you and and everything and so she walked in, and it was a 1950, 1952 little stucco home. They were the second owners. She kept referring to her husband as Mr. Brown, Mr. Brown. Had the cute little alcoves in the ceiling, you know, and all those great little thing. And it looked out right at the Heron Hollow wetlands with the slough coming up things. So it was a great piece of property. and and. And she said, oh, I would love it as a nice little young couple, If like you would get our home. And and and, and she was the second owner, which is kind of nice because we were the second owners. Um, she was the first owner, and we were the second owners of that house. And my parents, when they bought the house on Harrison, they were the second owners of that house. So that's kind of funny. And so we look at the house, and we really like it. And, and it's just a little tiny 700 square foot little two bedroom home. And, but we get home and Danny says, call her up and tell her not to sell it to anybody else and we're really hard to buy it. So I get in the phone book, landlines, no cell phones. And we used to sell the phone book a lot back then. And I'm looking up, Brown, 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 on Alamosa, I said, hey, Danny, guess what her husband's first name was? He said, what? I said, James, oh, we're gonna buy James Brown's house. (laughs) I took it as an omen. I knew it was true. So we moved in. First thing we did is we tore up the the carpet, beautiful old hardwood floors underneath that were all yellows and golds and browns and things, and just cutting them in hands and knees with Murphy's Woodhull soap and oiled them up, and there they were. And then Danny, we went to the home and garden shop, came home with a shopsmith. And through learning how to learn the shops, Danny made this beautiful shop out in the one-car garage um, with that. In fact, one of the, the, the back um, workbench is the doors from the Subal Ball Theater at BSU, which now the BS, the Subal Theater would now be the Danny Peterson Theater at the Morrison Center. So that's kind of a, a little come around with everything. And then uh, back then you could also get, Idle Power had, it was a, a 1950 gold, gold medallion home with little reddy Kil- kilowatt and the mom and the dad and the two nuclear family on the, on the thing. It was, meant, it was all electric. And we had a well with an electric pump. We were on the grid. <laughs> and and we could, you could get a loan from Idle Power to replace all the windows and pay $10 a month. Where did those things come from? And we did that, and, we then, and then we worked at it and lived at it and did everything, and then about, 20, um, about 2002 or so, we built a tree house in uh, our yard too, and it's big old silver maple with old lady access and everything, uh, if there's a handle thing, if you reach out and there's not a handle, bring one over and we'll put it up. And we've had 10, 12 people up there at a time. It's really fun. Then fortunately in 19, um, uh, excuse me, in 2015, I was able to remodel the house. Um, My father died in 2014 and, bless his and heart, um, left uh, all of us kids with a, a little bit of money. But I did have to take some money out of my Edward Jones account to finish it too, because you can go out of budget really easy. Let me tell you, it's really thing. But it's the last place they haul me off. So our contractor asked, um, "Do you want to put something in the wall?" And I said, "Yeah, I thought." But before that, uh, walls and that we tore down a wall. So I took a sharpie, and I wrote, uh, Thou wall. Thou wall. Oh, sweet and lovely wall. Thanks, courteous wall. Joe shield thee well for this. And then they tore it down. (laughs) And he asked me, do you want to put something in the wall? I said, yeah. So I thought it was appropriate to put it in the spot where Danny, where the bathtub was because Danny learned all his lines in the bathtub. The cleaner he was had, the more lines he had. I read the more lines he had, the cleaner he was. And so I found this little jar that said "Idol of Stash. I put some of Danny's ashes in there. I put his Euler, Euler pin, which is the Norwegian god for snow, for his Norwegian roots. I put my NAN pin, National Association of Naval Nurses, in there, a ring that said Dan and Bean on it, and um, a picture of us with who we were when we were married, when Danny died, and sealed it up, and they put it in the wall. And so who knows, later down the road when someone remodels or something, they're gonna find us there.
0: Thanks. Sam Hawker, everyone.
2: So- started I was really bad at it I could like barely draw stick men and stuff and so I k- just kept doing it for like over like two years maybe even three I um, <sighs> I kept drawing and I eventually got really good I'm actually working on a school drawing well working on a drawing in school So, yeah, and (laughs) Leanne is actually my teacher, so
0: it's just, I came here for extra credit.
2: story is that if you just keep practicing, you'll eventually get there, so.
0: Our next storyteller is Chris Butts.
3: All right, I actually uh, just came here from work. That's why I have so much stuff in there. And I've actually been in contact with Jody about my work. I work at Frank Church High School. Um, We're an alternative high school for the Boise School District. Um, So we're working really hard on getting some of our students to come out here and uh, have been working really hard on it and it totally crashed and burned tonight. Um, We didn't get any students to come, but we're gonna keep working on it. Um, But I wanna talk a little bit about uh, mentorship and I think that's a big takeaway right there is that um, sometimes mentorship means you got to try more than once or twice or three times. Um, And that's a lot of what my day looks like at Frank Church. So an alternative high school, if you don't know, is an alternative to the regular high school. So if the regular high school didn't work for the kid, you got to try something different, Um, because a lot of these kids are there for a long list of reasons I could go into, but um, usually they're not good ones. So, we'll just use your imagination from there. Um, and I learned a couple things about mentoring for my students leading into Thanksgiving break. Um, and one of the things that we try to do in this classroom that I'm in uh, with a gal I teach with, Mrs. Carter, is we kind of come together in a little morning meeting. Um, we kind of check in with each other and we like to have a question that we pose to them and we talk about it and kind of get on the same page. It's our way to help them become better people. And, uh... So, you know, this, this, we tried it this year, and it's going really well. And our students even got into it, and they, they gave us a bunch of suggestions. And, and you know, we, we tried those, but then we got the hang of it. We're the teachers, we're the experts, we're the mentors. We, we start calling the shots with the prompts from there. And, and that week leading into Thanksgiving, we're trying to get a bunch of stuff done. And, and, and every day, this student, we'll call him Fred, very outgoing, very gregarious guy. And he's like, hey, Mr. Butt, I got this prompt for you. It's really good. You got to try it, man. And I'm like, well, Fred, I I got a bunch of other stuff we got to do. You got to tell us how thankful you are for this and and what you're going to do over the break and this and that. And every day he's bugging me about it. And finally, it's like the last day before break. And I'm like, all right, Fred, what's your prompt? Let's do it. I didn't even ask him about it beforehand. He just shares it with the little group. And he goes, would you rather live or die today? And in my head, as a teacher, I was like, that's the stupidest prompt ever, Fred. Like, every anybody's gonna be like, well duh, and then we're gonna move on. And I was just like, Alright, here we go, you know, let's see how this goes. And uh and they totally floored me. I was I was blown away at how many of those kids didn't wanna live. Um it was I, I, I feel like I'm in tune with them, I, I get to know them, I know their names, I, know their, I, I think that I know their stories, and uh, they just started dishing. I don't wanna wake up in the morning, I don't wanna come to school, um, and I'm, you know, classic guy, I don't like to cry, I don't like to share emotions, especially in front of my students, and uh, they about had me in tears, and the best part about it was that they they were able to mentor each other through a lot of those conversations. Um, because one thing I've learned is that as a mentor, it doesn't mean you have to teach them everything. It means you have to put them around people that can teach each other some things. And uh, they were the first ones to jump in with each other and say, hey, you need to not think like that. You need to find the things that are worth waking up for. You need to find all these positive things that I see in you. You need to see it yourself. Um, so one of the things I learned the first part of that day is that sometimes you got to bend a little bit and you got to listen to the people that you're working with, um, even when you think that their idea might be kind of terrible. And uh, the other thing that I learned with later that, that morning was, uh, was we're going to do some writing, you know? And I was like, we're going to do some real writing. We're going to send it out there, and you guys are going to write a note to somebody that you're thankful for, and you're going to send it to today, and I want to know that you're going to send it out. It's got to be real. None of this fake writing stuff that we, you know, write in papers and stuff. So we sit down and I pull them and like, what's your, you know, how do you guys like to communicate with people? And I'm expecting, you know, Snapchat and YouTube videos. And Facebook Messenger was the number one winner. So I said, okay, guys, we'll write some Messenger messages to people. So one of my students, we'll call him Barney, a little more quiet guy, a little more reserved. Um, he writes a note to his mom, or actually, let me back up. The first person he wanted to write to is his dad, but his dad is OG lives under the radar and he can't be in contact with him. And I was like, all right. And then he wanted to <laughs> write to another friend. I have a restraining order against contacting that kid. I was like, sorry, man, you're out of options now. Who's it going to be? And he goes, well, I guess I'll write a note to my mom. And I was like, okay, right on, man. We got a winner. So he writes a, a sweet little thankful note to his mom. And, uh, and it's, you know we read over it, and it looks really good, and I'm like, all right, man, it's, it's time to send it, and he just doesn't want to send it. And I was just like, and Barney and I are pretty tight. We've known each other for a while, and I was, that was one thing I wouldn't bend on. That's one thing I wouldn't listen to him, and I said, Barney, you gotta click send on this one. You need to let your mom know what you're thankful for. And so, I got him to do it, and he sent it. And about five minutes later, he shows me his phone, and it's a text from her letting him know that his message made her cry. Animator day. So, sometimes you gotta know when to listen, and sometimes you gotta know when to stick it to them. So, that's what I've learned about mentoring this year for my kids. We have our
2: sister J.R. JR. I'm gonna talk about my mom. She didn't think she was much of a mom. All she wanted to be was a doctor, and she was a doctor. And uh, I think she got her degree, like, in 1949. And guess what? Nobody wanted to see her, because she was a woman. She managed to have six children, and I heard her over here say one day in the car, I didn't want to have any children. And I'm like thinking, well, that's not really comforting. And then my sister, who was the other part of the conversation, said, so why didn't you not have children? And mom said, well, we didn't get to the drugstore on time, and I thought,
1: <laughs> I thought, oh,
2: <laughs> I hate to think what that makes me think of. So, life is interesting when you eavesdrop. Don't do it. My mom, my first happiest memory, and I have lots of gold with her, is dancing around on the kitchen floor. I'm standing on her feet, so I'm in perfect time. And she would just... I didn't know who Ginger Rogers was, but apparently I felt like Ginger Rogers because she felt like Fred Astaire. And I loved it. it and it, I just knew that I always wanted to dance. But I was a pretty shy little kid. Turns out I'm hard of hearing. I didn't know that. I... Uh, Swam in a polluted lake when I was four, lost a lot of my hearing. I'm also dyslexic, and I didn't know that either, but it sure explained why I couldn't read. So I was pretty quiet in a family of six kids. That's easy to do, to be quiet. And my mom was worried about it, so she made puppets, and she had me make puppets. And then she made a theater, and then she made scripts, and then she made me learn the scripts and made me do the puppets, and I could do that. I could get behind this wooden thing where I was invisible and stick my hands up there and do all sorts of great things and be verbal. I made sound effects. We, when we did Punch and Judy, I would rip the head off a of Skarmouche, the mailman, and throw it into the audience. I was gregarious. It was wonderful, and that experience of being verbal and emotional and gregarious behind the wall made it that I could actually get out from behind the wall and be gregarious. I mean, I'm talking in front of you today. I didn't come here planning to do it, but I have no fear of public speaking, and I think it started behind the wall. Since I was dyslexic, I did everything I could in school not to write a paper. Um, Teachers loved kids who gave oral reports. And I really couldn't read, but I could listen. And I memorized everything anybody ever said, and I gave a report, report on everything I ever heard. And the teachers loved it. So that was a great gift my mom gave me to be able to speak out. Later on, I'm in business. She, well, because I'm dyslexic, I didn't go to college. <laughs> Who wants to work that hard? Um, <laughs> I just thought, all right, everybody's talking about how many hours they're spending on homework, and I'd have to do twice as many hours. Good grief, no, thank you. Uh, my mom offered to pay. She said, oh, you love oceanography. Why don't you do it? You've done it for six years. And I said, it's a hobby. Don't, if, it, if it turns into a job, I'd hate it. So, I went out and got a beginning job. And from that beginning job, I went to other beginning jobs. And in the course of all this, computers were up and coming. And I watched the computer operators, and I'd go in there and ask them how they do that, and I learned how to do their job. And then I went to another place and said, no, I've never had that for a job, but I watched them do it, and I can do it, I can do anything. I could run your shift in two weeks' time if you hire me. And if I don't, don't pay me anything, send me home. They hired me. They liked my balls. (laughs) Anyway, when I get close to, when I have one minute left, would you let me know? Okay, thank you. Anyway, so I'm doing a great job here, but I'm, my first name's Jeanette. And I'm the only female in this organization. And they got really mad because they hired a female, and they didn't want one. And I thought, I've got to do something to sort of get rid of this soft and gentle personality that I have. J.R. Ewing was on this TV at that time. I'd never seen Dallas, but that was the year they shot him. And I thought, my initials are JR. I'm going to become JR. He's the meanest man in Dallas. I'm going to be the meanest man in Seattle. So I sign everything JR. And people start calling me that. And it makes me feel like I can say no, and you will, and so forth. So this really helps me. (laughs) And then my mother gives me a book called Games Mother Never Taught You. I devoured the book it's all about business, that year I got 26% in raises because I read that book. My boss came around and he said, we were gonna say that we're doing small merit raises, but you're not getting one because I just looked at your portfolio and you got 26% in the last 12 months. That's because the book taught me to improve wherever I work, give value, give your best, Document it, go into your boss and say, This is what I've done, this is what's value, and I deserve money for this because you're going to save money, you're going to make money. And so I did. Thanks, Mom. That was great. Eventually, I became so good at all sorts of things, having to do with computers and business, based on the wisdom my mom shared with me. And I worked part-time, supported my husband going through medical school, bought a house, adopted two children on my salary. So mom did a good job, Um, and the final piece I want to share with you takes me full circle to my first happiest moment with mom. At my wedding. My dad gets sick whenever anything emotional happens, whether it's a good emotion or bad emotion. I sent him to a photography cinema for my, sem- for my wedding because I said, I don't want you to die because I get married. you know. So would you please go to a seminar? You'll live. I'll see you afterwards. And so my mom did the, the father-daughter dance with me. And oh my goodness, was she Fred Astaire. And I knew who Ginger Rogers was. She took me around this huge, floor. We were flying. The skirts were out there and the s- wow. She was great and I am so blessed that she had six kids that she didn't want and did a great job being a mom and a doctor. Thank you for listening.
0: Story Story Night is brought to you by our Story Party, Amy Moran, Karis Kimball, Hannah Mae Schaefer, Karen Moore, Bob Haycock, Marnie Ellis, and me, Jody Eichelberger. We receive support from the Boise Arts and History Department. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise, our season sponsor, Pettit Group Real Estate, and the ampersand show sponsor, The Idaho Woman Lawyers. The simulcast with Idaho Falls was supported by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Podcast production is by Stephen Baltasare. Our theme song was composed by Dan Costello, and our musical guests were Dan Costello and Ned Evitt. Support this storied program, get tickets to our live show, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Story Story Night.